Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show. Do you want to mention our newsletter? It's called Read Instead. It's easy to get. Just go to priceofbusiness.com. It includes my interviews with New York Times bestselling authors, uh, billionaires, incredible thought leaders, and Nobel Prize winners, and more. And I want you to check it out. There's no cost for it. One newsletter once a week. Includes really great interviews like uh, uh, my guests that I've had many with on Read Instead with my guest this segment, Lee Kaplan with the law firm of Smizer, Kaplan, and Veselka. He's really my go-to guy for a lot of things, law and uh, politics. And uh, we have a really timely topic for us today, uh, an issue we'll have to die, well, uh, and which, by the way, is the case in the story we're going to talk about today before it finally gets needed attention. Lee, welcome to the program. Uh, why don't you real quickly tell us a little bit about your practice, and then go ahead and set the stage for our topic today. Well, our practice, uh, our law firm, represents uh, both individuals and corporations. We're both plaintiffs and defendants lawyers, and uh, we have white-collar criminal matters as well. And people are accused of, of what I guess I would call commercial crimes, uh, we represent uh, them or companies on occasion and deal with usually the United States government in those situations. But uh, <clears throat> what I thought was most interesting today is an ongoing controversy. And while it's gotten a lot of play in Houston, it's a national issue. And that is what some people call environmental racism, but in reality... <laughs> It is situations where uh, environmental hazards are created in poor neighborhoods, many of which are minority neighborhoods. And uh, um, a good example of that is these rail yards with creosote. And because uh, creosote was used for railroad ties for years, and it is identified as a quote-unquote likely carcinogen, but I think most people accept the idea it is a carcinogen. And we have those kind of sites around Houston, and we have cancer clusters not far from there because, among mm -hmm. other things, people inhale the fumes or some of that leaches into the ground and gets into the water supply and, and or it's in the water table in a given yard and there's a problem. So that, that kind of thing means more people who are poor suffer from cancers, and of course, those are the people usually least able to pay for treatment. So this is a serious problem. It affects productivity of an entire city. When you have people with these health problems, not only can they not earn a living, but their family is diverted in some ways from earning a living because they have to care for family members who are ill, and it, and it overburdens our hospitals. So all these things are a burgeoning problem that we are just now recognizing. And yes. I say just now recognizing, it's been recognized, but the cleanup efforts are, can be immense. I mean, just removing the soil to a depth of, say, six feet at a big site that's multiple acres is very expensive. So that's something that big cities but also small towns have to face. You know, and one of the things you said that, you know, I, I know how this works to a certain extent from my work in public policy uh, for years that, you know, 
millions, maybe even more, is spent making sure that it doesn't get that final classification as a known carcinogen. Millions are spent by businesses to do whatever they can to avoid taking ownership and responsibility for it. Right, and there are efforts under the law to make people responsible under successor liability theories, but, but they're they're usually or often admired in legal tangles. And of course, it makes it a lot harder uh, for some companies to enter into transactions. They don't want to buy a company that's got one of these problems because the problem hasn't been fixed and they fear the unknown. That is, what happens later if they are determined to have an environmental issue in some piece of property that they've bought. So it creates real issues. And you know, there's uh, creosote, there's asbestos, there are other carcinogens, and these are out there, and you just have to be aware of them, and it's going to cost our society money to clean this up. But in the long run, we're better off doing the cleanup than we are letting it stay there and cause disease for multiple generations. And, and another thing to consider is that children are probably more vulnerable than anybody to these things. They may play in the yard more often. They may be near these sites. They're outdoors more often, and they inhale more fumes. You know, we're hurting our future generations when we don't act about, take proactive steps to get rid of this. Yeah, there's absolutely no question about it. Talk a little bit about, you know, um, talk about some of the other uh, areas. This, you know, this isn't uniquely Houston. Um, and there was a period where it felt like, you know, of course, it seemed like forever. I, I grew up in Michigan, I think, you know, and, and the, you know, the, the well, joke you know, was, we and it about, wasn't really much much of a joke, was that Lake Erie was so disgusting you could walk on it uh, with, with how polluted. And, and then they, they really addressed a lot of that. There was a period where there were very, well, in some cases, we've dealt with the worst cases. But if you just look for Superfund sites in Houston, Texas, there are several of them. And, um, you know, there's the uh, what, what was called the Brio Superfund site, the Crystal Chemical mm -hmm. Superfund site, the Conroe Creosoting site, one on Bandera Road, had a groundwater plume, and there are others. And, frankly, these are things that, um, they just cost a lot. Sooner or later, you have to dispose of whatever you've removed and so um, and neutralize it if you can. And one way that people try to neutralize it is some kind of chemical issue, and there are lots of people spending a lot of money on research for that. And then there are people that just say, well, let's build a barrier uh, that's impermeable, and they never turn out to be truly impermeable. Or they send it to some other dump that currently is far away from people, but may not be in future years. So we have to find permanent solutions, and it costs money. It's technology that we've got to spend money on. And when I say yeah. we, uh, you can try to put this on the companies, but some of them will go bankrupt, and then what do you do? I mean, it's just difficult to assign these responsibilities. And what you end up having to do is figure out what it is 
the United States of America or the state of Texas, say, is going to do about it. And uh, a lot of times we do not uh, handle that very quickly. It takes years, and there's litigation. And uh, the amount of money that lawyers make off of this is itself unconscionable. But Mm -hmm. because people fear the unknown, they'd rather pay lawyers than try to figure out just how much it's going to cost to get something fixed or remediated. Because mm-hmm. they don't know what the government's response will be, whether their remediation efforts will be uh, treated as sufficient. So there's a lot of uncertainty, and part of the message is if you're going to buy a piece of property and uh, or a company, you need to know everything about its assets and all of these uh, potential uh, uh, roadblocks or traps that can ensnare you when you look to buy a, a company or a pop or a property. So yeah, dangerous. It is, and you know, I don't know. I mean, you, you, you being a lawyer is an interesting question. You know, what do, what do you see that government could do working with businesses to give them more incentives? to uh, be proactive, because you're right. You don't know what you're going to pay once you begin paying. And you, once you begin to own, they don't even want to own it, because once you own it, everything gets terrifying for a company. Um, you know, has things come to your mind as an attorney to, get, to help mitigate that, change the environment, if you will, towards uh, improving it? Well, I think, frankly, given given the way things are in Washington right now, it's highly unlikely that there'll be much of an advance over the current law. And uh, the United States basically identifies problems and then oversees uh, a lot of efforts to remediate them. There's very, there's very little the United States itself can do on private property that has been, um, that has been poisoned. But if you know, we have these uh, nuclear facilities like the one at Hanford, um, um, and that was uh, something that obviously the United States was in a hurry to um, um, build a bomb so that we could win World War II. And there are these various Department of Energy complexes in which uh, um, we tried to either build reactors, do atomic research, build a bomb. And uh, the Hanford site is one that was uh, divided into multiple sites. And uh, it is uh, being addressed by both the state of Washington and the federal government. We're talking 26 square miles, multiple reactor areas and that kind of stuff. And, you know, doing something about this is is just huge and and right now i think that a lot of the contaminated soil has been retrieved and moved to a disposal facility but they're still treating it and then you have the groundwater problem because some of these contaminants leach into the groundwater and then they get to the columbia river and so you know uh some people question whether the drinking water standards that the EPA sets are somewhat motivated by politics. In other words, they set a limit that's high enough that they can say the water is safe to drink because they don't want mass panic and they don't they just can't face 
the reality of what is happening. So there's a lot that science doesn't know, and that lack of knowledge probably is dangerous to all of us. And yeah, and the reality is, and it goes back to my question, because they've got to come up with a system that does work for business because they do innovate. Uh, you know, and the problem is that sometimes we don't even know for decades whether or not they're going to be negative. A good example is now Flint, right? Flint, Michigan, and lead water there. Now it's popping up in old cities all over the country. Do we want innovations in plumbing that later could be problematic? No. But at the same time, we've got to come up with systems to – to uh, mitigate it if they do become problematic. We're not omniscient. And, uh, you know, we, we can't pretend that businesses are, or if they should be, then how do we ever have any progress? Well, the problem is we can't just load all this under a rocket and shoot it into the sun. There's just right. too much. You know, I mean, we it has to go somewhere or alternative, alternatively through some kind of chemical process be rendered completely neutral. I don't know if that's possible. I think people work on that all the time. There's a lot of money to be made with the people who discover methods of remediation of polluted sites. And uh, yeah. governments and companies will pay a lot of money to find those solutions. But it's an ongoing problem, and, and the first message is whatever you do in your business activities, Try to make sure you haven't run afoul of any of the current knowledge about what is a carcinogenic or a pollutant. Yep. Lee Kaplan, Spicer Kaplan of the Selka, SKV.com. I'm Kevin Price. Thanks so much for being with us. And uh, when we come back, we're going to have more for you right here on this station. 